Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So we have a couple of great questions today. I know I always say that, but I really do have another couple of great questions today. The first one is about a family who has one very high needs child and one super mellow child. So they wanted to talk about balancing those two different personalities. The second question is a great one. I love when questions lead to really bigger concepts underneath. There's like a certain, it might be surrounding a specific incident or question, like the question we got a couple weeks ago, I got a couple weeks ago about a sleep question, but it really was uh, about boundaries with children, setting boundaries and when and how, and leads to some answering a question that can lead to, or can be about more than just one area or one thing. And that is one of those questions I have today. And this area is about how our kids can challenge us and push us out of our comfort zone. Having children can really make us face some of those areas of ourselves that we may struggle with, whether it's self-esteem, whether it's our own intelligence, whether it's the way we interrelate to people, or whatever those things are about, this question happens to be about a toddler and private parts and how to manage that and help them find appropriate ways and know what boundaries are around private parts. But this happens to be around that question, but I'm also going to talk about how this is really uncomfortable for us as adults often. And so this gives us an opportunity to deal with and face our own struggles around sex and sexuality and these topics that we may not have been parented very, I don't want to say well, I think the word I'm looking for is comprehensively. So when it comes to sex and sexuality, I think a lot of us were not parented very comprehensively for whatever that reason was, whether it was a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, and in a lot of cases, in most cases, it probably has a lot more to do with the comfort level. And so I know A lot of you here as my audience and myself as a parent, one of my goals has always been to be that parent that's available on all levels in all ways and to offer my children an education and an understanding and life skills and guidance in as comprehensive a way as I possibly can. And that includes sex and sexuality. So of course, in that last question, I will be covering some maybe more sensitive topics for some of you. So it's up to you. It's not going to be age inappropriate because we are talking about a toddler, but we're also going to be talking about facing some of our own stuff around that. So if this is something you don't want your children to hear, if they're at a particular age where they may be impressionable, you consider that when we get to that question. And um, be sure to put on some headphones or listen later when they are out of the room or in bed. Uh, I also have an announcement about the upcoming class I want to talk about. And this is almost complete. Ashley has finished editing it. So we just need to put it up on the website along with the handouts. And if you are a member, you can check that out 
later this week, probably early next week, we'll get it out. Uh, We will try to get out an email announcement about that as well, just to give some information before I get to the questions. Mindfulness has been found to decrease stress, depression, anxiety, and burnout in adults. The practice of mindfulness has increasingly been incorporated into elementary and high school classrooms to support students' mental health and well-being. And a recent study published in the journal Mindfulness in June of 2018 showed especially good results with late adolescents ages 15 to 18. Some of the things that they have found is evidence-based ways that practicing mindfulness meditation can help children. It gives kids the habit of focusing on the present moment and ignoring distractions. It teaches them to stay calm in the face of life's stressful moments. It creates good habits for the future. They learn how to find peace when faced with the challenges. It promotes happiness by lowering social anxiety and stress. It promotes patience. It can improve executive function in their brain, like cognitive control, working memory, cognitive flexibility in problem solving and other ways, and better grades. It can improve attentiveness and impulse control. So this is really common as we know with toddlers in general, but if you have a child with ADHD or some ADHD symptoms or those types of things, this is definitely a great thing. And I'm actually starting to work with my son, actually all of my kids, but also with my son with ADHD. And there have been some really great early results with mindfulness and working on improving attentiveness and impulse control. So that class will be coming out soon and I'm really excited about that. Okay, today's questions. As I talked about, let's get to the first one. This is from Zach who wrote, Hi Erin, I wanted to start by saying I really appreciate all your podcasts. With COVID, we haven't been able to swing the training courses yet, but we're still getting a lot of great info from the podcasts. We are first-time parents to twins, and they have helped us navigate this twin life tornado. So we have 17-month-old boys that could not be any more different already. I listened to your most recent, at the time, episode on high needs babies and realized that my one twin, Luke, definitely falls into that category. He came into this world wide-eyed and awake and taking in his surroundings, and his happiest place in the world has always been whenever myself or my wife are holding him. He is super sensitive, both positively and, I don't want to say negatively, but I guess adversely. I think that's a great adjective. When he trips or his brother gets aggressive in his play, he is quick to fight back or come crying to us. But he's also very sweet, often handing his brother toys, his own snacks to share, and giving him kisses. Anyway, my question is, how do we make sure our other twin, Lincoln, is being given enough attention? We are constantly having to hold or corral Luke. He's always on the move, and it's just a constant battle to keep this kid happy and or contained so we can do chores or whatnot. Link is a pretty chill kid in general, often content with keeping to himself and rarely ever comes up to us wanting to be held, hardly ever cries when he falls or whatever, and is pretty independent in his exploration. Is that just his personality, or are we doing this to him subconsciously by inadvertently paying less attention? We, of course, make efforts to play with, interact with, snuggle with, etc. Him, so that he feels just as loved and cared for but it doesn't seem to phase him like his brother. He'd just rather do his own thing. We want to encourage his independent personality, but want to make sure to instill in him and as early as we can that he is just as loved and supported even though his brother seems to get more of the affection. 
Your help is much appreciated. Thank you. Okay, so this is not an uncommon household where one child is highly demanded and the other is more mellow. The difference in Zach's case is it is a little more pronounced than usual, which is a little bit more of a challenge, but certainly not out of the realm of normal. I also love, Zach, that you're wondering if the more independent twin has naturally gravitated that way more out of necessity than out of natural tendency due to the other twin being so much more demanding. This is something that does happen in some families. Just the very fact, though, that you're asking, that you're aware of the possibility and you're on the lookout, along with the information about how Link acts, even when you do try to give attention, tells me that he's not doing this as a response, but more as his natural personality. He sounds to be very naturally self-reliant. The fact that you're aware of the discrepancy between the two, that you're taking your time when you can to engage with Link when he gets hurt or to play or what have you, tells me this is not out of necessity for him. In other words, he's not doing this behavior out of necessity. This is just more about who he is and the way he interacts. Now, when you have really big families, you have like eight or nine kids and you've got some kids in the middle or younger kids or what have you, and you can definitely see this where there just is not enough to go around, right? And so some, the kids just learn to fend for themselves. It's just what happens. This is, I don't believe is what's happening in this case at all. So this is a perfect example about how kids are just very different. You can have very, they can have very different needs, very different personalities. While we may have the same basic expectations of our kids, we will approach things differently with our different kids in different ways. One child needs help building independence. So like with Luke, you will work with him on this as he gets older because they're, they're still very young. But this is just an example that kind of what your long-term parenting goals are going to be for these two because you're seeing the differences. So you can see this for the long term that this is what you're going to work on. Now, 17 months old doesn't need to have a ton of independence, but there are things that you can do to start setting the foundation for him on this now. You can already see that this will be an ongoing goal when it comes to parenting him throughout his childhood. He'll need more boundaries and expectations for all kinds of things when the times come, for things like getting himself dressed. Now, this won't happen until around three, three and a half. Um, taking ownership of his own grooming, his morning routine, getting himself a snack, managing his homework process and projects. Of course, a lot of these things are down the road. Now, I said three to three and a half for dressing. That's really, um, you know, you may see he starts to do some of it at two, two and a half, but likely with his personality, I'm gonna guess it's gonna be more like three to three and a half, and you may have to start having the expectation of him because he probably won't be one to push for it on his own. So that's just something that you'll just kind of keep an eye on as he gets older because you will probably see his twin get him, getting himself dressed pretty early on. <laughs> And you'll be wondering, when is Luke going to do this? Well, you may have to just start scaffolding him in that process. And you'll know when it's right. You'll kind of feel it out. And you'll know when it feels like, okay, it's time for you to start doing some of this on your own. And you'll just work him more towards that process. So in all these areas, then you will help him work on support him through becoming more independent. With Link, it will be almost the opposite. You'll be working with him to ask for help when he needs it. It'll be making sure that you're checking in with him to make sure he is getting his needs met, whether it's emotional needs, physical needs, or what have you. 
You may need to spend some time sitting and chatting with him about his needs, his wants, his desires, his goals, so you can support him. Not now, 17 months old, when he gets older. It's things you'll just need to keep your eye on. You may need to ask him if he needs any help with his homework or if he knows how to prepare for a project or a test. You may need to ask him what interests he has in exploring and spend some time helping him learn about and explore different areas of interest. He may have no idea or just say he's good, but deep down may want to try something but not want to bother you or may not even know what all is available. So really helping him explore a wide range of interests as he gets older. Kids like Link can easily get lost in the brouhaha of regular life. They're so easygoing and don't take much effort that we can take that for granted. Now, my youngest son was and still is very much like this. So I'm going to continue sharing more about this, some tips for making sure your quieter kids don't get lost in the shuffle, right after a word from our sponsors. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than HomeThreads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. 
Now that we're back after the break, I'm going to talk more about working with quieter kids to make sure they don't get lost in the craziness of family life, as well as answer our second question about setting boundaries around appropriate behavior when it comes to private parts. So getting back to lower maintenance kids who seem pretty content. These kids, like I said, can often get lost in the shuffle of busy family life. So noticing this and knowing this about our children's individual differences becomes very important, especially in these types of cases. So I saw this happening with my youngest son. He didn't really have interests that he knew about. Like he really wasn't pushing for anything. The other two kids were like, I want to do this. I want to try that. I want to go here. I want to go there. He really, he's a homebody. He's happy to stay home. So he really didn't talk about what he wanted. His sister was in gymnastics and swim. His brother was in swim and in Cub Scouts. And he just seemed to be content. And I remember just working so hard to manage everything else around the house and keeping us rolling and keeping us moving and getting the other kids going in their activities. But I knew he was getting the short end of the stick. I knew I needed to focus on him and help him find some interests also. So I got myself as organized as I could, got everything really under control. So I get the schedules smooth and then I could make room to add some more things in. So the other two activities were down and solid. And then I took time to work with Chandler to figure out what he wanted to do. We had some trial and error with trying some things he liked at first, but then quickly grew bored with like dirt biking, skateboarding. Then he tried ice skating and he really took to ice hockey as well as hip hop dance. He then actually found an interest in skateboarding again as well, and he really got into that. Now, he had to stop both dance and ice hockey during the pandemic. He has not been back to those. He kind of lost interest in dance since then, and this was very difficult. He really didn't have much to do. Swim was still happening, so the other two got to go back to swim pretty quickly, but he has spent most of the pandemic not doing anything. Luckily, access to skateboarding parks came back pretty quickly. So he was still able to do that. Um, and it's, it's time to check out ice hockey again when that's available, but he has definitely gotten the short end of the stick with that in the beginning. And even a little bit now too, trying to get him back into some stuff. He's also the kid who doesn't like to run errands. And I spend time with my other two kids running errands. So for the pandemic, it has meant any chance to get out of the house is a bonus for my other two kids. For Chandler, he just prefers to stay home unless it's a skate park or a really cool outing we have planned. So I have to be sure to take time to spend with him, snuggling with him, chatting with him, reading with him, or taking him to the skate park. He also doesn't tell me when he's struggling in school. He doesn't struggle with the work itself for the most part. So it's not like he needs to come to me for help on the work. It's mostly a struggle to stay focused. Now, this is the ADHD that comes in. So I have to really check in with him to see where he is or what he's doing very consistently. Now, of course, we're still distance learning, so that's adding to me needing to be even more involved right now. Once he goes back to school, I know I'll need to check on him and see how he's doing, what homework he has, stay more engaged with him, or It'll all just go unnoticed if he's falling behind until I get a report card or something from the teacher saying he's not doing very well in a class. And then there's this whole eye-opening, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix it type of thing? What skills does he need to learn? What does he need to practice? So I, this is one of the things I need to keep an eye on with him. So all of that to say, knowing your children's differing personalities positives and struggles is very helpful and important for making sure you're giving them the guidance they need to learn the skills they'll need 
to thrive as individuals. And then, of course, just the fun, the time, the one-on-one time, the connection with the parents that the other kids who are a little more of the squeaky wheel are going to get anyway. Okay, for the next question about a toddler who is unabashed, and most of them are, about his private parts, mom and dad would like to set some boundaries, but in a way that isn't going to shame him about his body. So I'm going to read this question. We're going to get into this question, and we're going to really talk about this coming up against these things that we struggle with as adults and how and in this particular area. Hi, Erin. I recently discovered your podcast and I'm enjoying it greatly. My husband and I have our little baby miracle who is now three years old. He is a great boy with a strong sense of determination and will. Most of the time we're able to understand, manage behaviors and meet his emotional needs. However, for approximately a year, he's been touching his private parts. Since he left nappies and discovered his penis, he found the area very funny as he describes it and obviously pleasurable. He tends to stroke the head of his penis quite a bit, especially when he's bored and tired as a way to comfort himself. Most recently, he has started to not only stroke his private parts, but also stick it out and show it to us or try to touch the surface with it like the wall or a door. We understand that his age is one of exploration plus an explosion of sensory discovery, but the behavior seems to increase instead of decrease. We have had many conversations about the need of stopping this, and we have also decided to use the phrase, nobody wants to see this, put it away, please. He seems to understand the discomfort that it causes in us. He even understands the concept of shame, but none of this has helped him control the behavior. We also try to use a whole piece clothing, like onesies, to stop him putting his hand down there. We would appreciate it if you have any ideas of how to extinguish the behavior. Thank you in advance. I hope I'm saying your name right. Valeria, I think is what I said. I have talked about this in the past. This question has come up a couple times in the past, and I have covered some of this, but I really haven't covered it in depth enough, I don't feel like. So there's a couple of areas I really want to get into here with this question. The first part is talking about kids or toddlers especially and private parts so obviously this is very common this is something they like to do it is pleasurable and valeria did a great job describing exactly what's going on at this age there is a lot of sensory explosion and discovery of all in all kinds of areas and so there are just some kids who are very drawn to touching their private parts and because it's just such a natural thing to them and it does feel good, it's like getting a rub on the arm, it's only a little bit nicer, it is just something that some kids tend to be drawn to and get a little, I don't want to say fixated, that's not even the right word, it's not a fixation per se, but um, but it, there is something that, that really draws them to that. So the first thing I want to say is, this is very common for toddlers that they often touch their private parts and to do it frequently. Sometimes they'll even do it in public. Sometimes they'll do it at school. They'll do it while they're playing on the playground. This is a natural method of self-soothing, just like Valeria had, has shared about her son. It is a way they self-soothe. Um, so how we want to handle this is to have a conversation about how genitals are private parts. They're just that they're private parts. Now, The fact that he's not doing it in public actually makes this a lot easier. So that is when a lot of parents really struggle with this about what to do Um, because they don't want to draw a bunch of attention to it. They really kind of struggle with how to do that. If 
This is happening. It doesn't matter if it is, you know, out in public or if it's in the home, you just want to pull them aside and have this little chat with them. And I know you've said you've had this. I'm going to go into more details about also why I think more about what's happening here. So I know it feels good to touch your private parts. This is really normal, but remember they are private. So it's best to touch them in private too. So what we wanna do is rather than trying to extinguish the behavior altogether, we wanna invite our child to go to somewhere private to explore their private parts. Now, especially when they're this little, they're not, most of the kids are not gonna take that opportunity, but if they are, if they do, there's really not a big deal. They're gonna go in the room for a couple minutes and come back out. There's, they're gonna be like, okay, um, this is booring, I'm done. They're gonna to wanna to go play with a toy or go do something else. But you know, if you're in public, obviously you're just gonna invite them that this is something that they do in private, at home, in their own room, in their own space. So you wanna make sure to stay away from the blame and shame languages around it because we wanna remember that these are children who are going to grow into young men and young women and I haven't talked about this a lot, but there is obviously, there's just a lot of loaded stuff that goes around our sex and sexuality and a lot of messages that are really loaded that we're going to get over time. So trying to keep it as light as possible while they're young, that this is all very natural, that this is something that it feels good. So of course he wants to do it. You just have a certain time and space where it's appropriate and another time and space where it's not. And out in the family room is just not an appropriate place or time. So he is welcome to go to his room. So that is really the main part that you really want to work on with little kids and when they're interested and seem to be um, drawn to touching their own genitalia. So at these young ages, three to five or under, if you can ignore it, this is also an option. It's a really good option because what happens with these types of behaviors is that the more attention we bring to it, the more tantalizing it becomes. It becomes more interesting because we're bringing attention to it. So doing things that are trying to curb the behavior like onesies and that type of thing is only going to make it more interesting. So if you can refrain from that, either ignore the behavior or give just gentle reminders that this, these are your private parts. This is something you do in private. You're welcome to go to your room right now, or you can do something else and then guide him in the direction that you would like him to go. So you want to keep it, just like I said, super light, super easy, just some gentle reminders. So the behaviors that we really need to curb are things that are dangerous or things that are potentially dangerous, where they're going to hurt themselves, hurt other people, or hurt property. Other than that, if it's a behavior that you can ignore, I would ignore it because it's also attention-seeking. So there's part of that too. So as soon as we bring attention to something, they want attention for that behavior, especially when they see that it gets power, it makes us feel uncomfortable there's some power in that. So it is also going to make the behavior increase. So you wanna work on ignoring it if you can, or some gentle redirections, reminders about where it's appropriate, how it's appropriate. And at three, it's like I said, so early, not really something to be concerned about. By the time they're five, this is definitely something that we can expect, that they're gonna follow these rules about their private parts being private. But before five, we're just gonna be giving reminders and redirecting or helping them stay within the boundaries, working them towards that. If it's something they're just gonna keep pushing back on, something that's only gonna make it worse, you definitely wanna work on the ignoring part of it. Okay, I'm gonna talk a little bit about their sexual development in these really early years. Just gonna to touch on it really quickly, and then, no pun intended there, then I'm gonna talk about assessing our own values 
as adults around our bodies and around sex and sexuality, this is something a lot of us struggle with, have struggled with in the past. Most of us still struggle with it to some degree or another. And so it's really good to know where those spots are. Now, when I was in grad school and I was learning to become a therapist, we talked a lot about what they called blind spots. So what we were taught is that you'll be in the therapy room with a client and they will, a client will at some point or another, and this will happen constantly throughout your career, say something, do something, have an experience they'll bring up, and it will trigger something in the therapist that we've been through, that we felt will trigger something in us, for us, not anything that they're doing on purpose, just they have an experience that was similar to ours or something and it will trigger something in us. And so the more we know ourselves, the better we know ourselves, the better we know what we call our blind spots, what those areas are that could potentially trigger us, the better of a therapist we're going to be. This is the same case with parenting. If whatever your struggles are, whether it's your own body image, whether it's your own self-esteem, whether it's your own concern or um, lack of self-esteem around your intelligence or around your schooling or around any number of things, whatever it is with that you struggle with, your kids are most likely some point or another going to trigger that in you. So they are definitely a catalyst for us in our own personal growth. And I think that that's one of the more surprising parts about parenting. So let's talk really quickly about your child's sexual awareness and behavior. Okay, so when they're very young, they will touch their genitals. Zero to two years old, it's not uncommon. During diaper changes, that type of thing, they might touch themselves and stimulate themselves. This is obviously because it feels good and it's soothing, just like I already talked about. So this is not uncommon. Two to five-year-olds. So by two years old, your child will know that boys and girls or men and women are different, even if they don't fully grasp what all the differences are. By three, your child will have a clear gender identity in, for the most part. Many children of this age like to be naked. They love to run around naked. It just it feels good. It's freeing. Um, it's very natural. They'll probably still enjoy touching their genitals. It's not uncommon at three years old. Now, around three, they may not be doing it in public anymore, but not always. They also may start to ask between the ages of two to five, start asking some early questions about sex and their bodies and what these parts are for, or maybe how babies are made, those types of things. You may get some of those questions really early. So it's really good to be prepared to answer those questions in age appropriate ways. So I wanna talk about adult sexuality, your own personal feelings, triggers, struggles with your body and your sexuality. So you wanna really think about your own thoughts and feelings about your own body how you feel about your own body, any insecurities you may have about it, and really make a, con a concerted effort to not pass them on. You wanna think about how you view your own body. Is your body something that you're proud of? Is it something that you try to cover up? Are there parts that you don't like? I mean, I think we all have parts that we don't like or aren't our favorite parts. So these are just things to really kind of be aware of and be aware of the messages that we send to our children about that and really try not to do that, to, to make our bodies a sense of pride. Start thinking about all the things our bodies can do. Nobody's body is perfect. And so I think, you know, as someone who has spent a lot of my life, I hate to use the word unhealthy, 
Um, I was diagnosed with arthritis when I was nine years old. And so I have spent a lot of my life in pain. I spent a lot of my life with a body that doesn't work as well as other people's. I spent a lot of my life in a body that um, appears to be in pain to a lot of other people because it is or it was. Um, I've come a long way actually, and I've I've done a lot with that. I actually don't deal with very much of it anymore. But people were constantly asking if my feet hurt or my ankles hurt or my knees hurt. I hated when people would notice that about me because I was trying to act like I felt just fine. As someone whose body doesn't work or hasn't in the past for most of my life worked as well as other people's bodies, just having a body that works and that can do so many things is a source of pride for me. Um, And so it's just a way of focusing on the positive about my body. And it's one of the things that despite the struggles that I've had with my body has been an extremely positive lesson for me to learn to appreciate the positives in my body. And so I'm going to throw that out there for anybody out there who's really struggling with, especially the way their body looks. And if you have a body that works well, um, that that could be a place for pride for you. Um, think about how you care for your body. What are the things that you do to care for your body? Um, how do you take time out to care for your body? So there's a lot of different questions here you can be asking yourself, a lot of things to be talking about or thinking about and sit down and maybe even talk with your partner if you're in a, a marriage or a partnership with a, a co-parent or a partner or a husband or a wife to talk about these things together. What are your values around sex and sexuality? What are the messages that you want to send to your children? What are the messages that you got growing up? What are the messages you got growing up that you felt were unhealthy about your body or about sex and sexuality? Are you... St- still some areas that you're still hung up on, that you still struggle with about your sexuality or about your body. And what are ways that you can overcome some of this, or you can work together to overcome it so that you're not passing it on to your children? So there's a whole lot of areas and a whole lot of things. And it also is an area where you can sit down if you are in a partnership and can really build some real intimacy. When you sit down and you really talk about your sex and sexuality as you were growing up, as an adolescent, what that was like for you, that's a whole area if you haven't sat down and talked about together is a really great area to build some intimacy because surely I'm sure everyone, I know women especially, we have a lot of burden on us when we grow up, a lot of messages from society about how we should or shouldn't be or should and shouldn't act and should and shouldn't dress and all kinds of things that come down on us. And I don't think it's, you know, it it is different for men, but there's a lot of pressure on men nowadays too. Um, And so sitting down and having those conversations about what was that like growing up? How is that still affecting you today? Does it make you a little more timid and with your sex and sexuality? Have you talked about things that you like or things that you don't like or things that you want to try or things that you haven't tried, but you're afraid to try? Um, Talking about these things with your partner is really um, important. And how can you make sure that your child grows up feeling like they can be open talking about sex and sexuality with their partner when they get older? And they can have a healthy attitude and make sure that they are emotionally, physically, spiritually ready for exploring themselves either alone or with a partner as they get older. So there's a lot of things in there wrapped up in there and wrapped up in this question. And so 
as I mentioned, there's other areas that this can spill over to as well as when our kids will do or say things or have experiences that may trigger things in us that we have not quite fully dealt with. But this is just one area and it's a big area of adulthood that a lot of us have struggled with, I'm sure, probably throughout most of our adult lives, starting in adolescence. And it's a really good area to dig into and work through and really talk it out with your partner. Like I said, if you have one, if not, you know, if you um, are a single parent, if you have some friends you can sit down and talk with, obviously a therapist is always a good person to talk with. So these are some great topics and things to get into and really start considering and thinking about. One of the classes, now because I don't cover much, um, well, I do in your developing toddler and preschooler, I do talk about sexual development as well as the other areas of development. So there is some information in there. Also the class um, discipline tools for teens and tweens. I don't go deep into this, into sex and sexuality and talking about it, but I do talk some about setting boundaries, about talking to kids about this topic. This is another really big topic. I do want to create a full class on, but there is some great information in there just about keeping things open, how to approach subjects, when to talk about some of these things and start bringing them up as they hit towards adolescence. So those are a couple of classes that cover those things as well. If you are interested in learning more about development, how to support it, positive discipline, or any of the other 60 parenting classes, you can visit the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.